0: Well, gentlemen, I do believe I am comfortable with coming out and saying this, given that it's been plenty of time to, uh, settle, but, uh, the good news is, I happen to have a girlfriend. The
1: bad news? She is AI-generated. Ah, I see. I, for one, welcome our new AI overlords. Speaking of which, hi, I'm Sam, an AI program here today to help Ian with the podcast.
2: And I am Harrison. I don't believe I need an introduction at this point. So.
1: Oh, big man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I'm Ian, your host of the Inciting Moment podcast here today to talk about the concerning explosion of uh, AI-generated art. Now, granted, of course, uh, AI being part of the artistic workflow uh, has kind of been coming up within the last few years it's just at this point i don't know about you guys it it feels like it's kind of getting out of that ha ha he he it looks janky sort of phase and it's actually making advancements that produce at times pretty stunning images depending on the the material that it's it's working off of
1: yeah it's i mean if if we're gonna go with the general thoughts about it um you know, I mean, I always like to take the middle ground. I mean, the, the, uh, you got to look at the both the good and the bad. The good for me is that, holy shit, the, the fact that AI can do this, make, create such realistic works of art, is pretty fucking cool. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's also kind of terrifying in its own way. I mean, one could always say like, oh, hey, it could never replace, you know, the human creative art and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But like, I don't know, man, it's
0: getting there. Yeah, you know, I I, I stumble upon a couple of images where it's uh, Star Wars as a 1980s anime, and um, yeah, it looks exactly like a 1980s anime. It's kind of scary, but cool at the same time. Uh, It's so strange. And and I mean, if we were to point out specific ones, at least from what I've been um, surveying from the different Uh, AI generation software programs and um, whatnot. Uh, The one that I've seen the most consistently interesting images is from a program called MidJourney. And uh, MidJourney, for those who have also been checking out um, the YouTubes as of late, you you might be uh, surprised to see that there are a lot of people making... Uh, AI generated images reimagining certain video games as 1980s dark fantasy films, which why specifically that, I don't know, but if we are going to take a second to just gush about one thing, I am fascinated with this wave of AI generated images in particular, because I don't know about you guys, but at least from the dark fantasy films, specifically something about the 80s, it has that look and vibe to it that nowadays very few things really come close to capturing unless you're Tim Burton. But with that aside, it's it's interesting, especially when you see things like, oh, Dark Souls as a 1980s dark fantasy film. You look at it and it's just like, wow, they have like the weird haziness that 80s films in that particular genre had they 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 have like the the weird texture to like the film and they have like all the characters not only that you can recognize as oh that's Gwyn, oh that's ornstein and smaug and stuff like that but what's also interesting is keeping in tandem with the true spirit of 1980s like you know um adaptations they also aren't 100 percent accurate if you know what i mean because if there's one thing about adaptations from the 80s they were not the most accurate
1: yeah i mean it's also the thing that ai just like even you know just like humans they have their limitations
0: yes yes uh primarily i noticed that uh teeth teeth is the weird uh indicator of uh whether or not it's AI generated for now
2: yeah there's there's other uh indicators that once you can kind of spot them you know what to look for like uh parts and hair and how that kind of connects to it you got the teeth eyes as well hands used to be the big indicator usually uh, one of the other big indicators is how it goes from one object to another specifically in the background, not the subject itself but the background' Cause AI for some reason when it's the background you'll have objects just merge into one and it's like those puzzle images where it's like try to spot an object in this image and you just everything is pieces of other objects that can just blur into one thing
0: yeah Mm -hmm. i mean there was also in that dark souls 80s dark fantasy film thing uh the the giant crow that takes off your character to the next area at the very beginning of Dark Souls, um, straight up just has another thing of talons for some reason. <laughs> Even yeah, though the one from the game just never actually had three different sets of talons. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's little things like that. I, I mean, also I've read that uh, with Midjourney in particular and other programs like it. Uh, the programmers actually intentionally incorporate these little imperfections, such as with, say, the teeth. Uh, I've noticed sometimes certain um, certain facial features can be a little over-exaggerated. You know what I mean? Like wrinkles, uh, dimples, stuff like that. Um, so we're still at the point where if you look at something, you can say, oh yeah, that's AI-generated which uh, if we were to sort of uh transition into the um concerning part of the matter when it comes to uh a i generated images i I think it's the fact of like okay, we have these imperfections now, but who's to say they're going to, like to to stay with further innovations or even other people trying to get into the a i generation software? you know, uh, industry, if you will.
1: What's the coolest Spring. that you've seen so far in terms of a uh, Switch to this anime, 80s, dark fantasy?
0: Uh, I think the coolest one was actually where somebody reimagined uh, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers as a dark fantasy thing, but specifically for, like, the Koopas and Toad and stuff like that, they uh, had them designed as if they were, like, a Jim Henson, like, Dark Crystal or Muppets kind of, like, animatronic things. Which, thinking about
1: it, possibly could have worked back then. <laughs> Honestly, dude, is, that's basically what we got in the 80s film. So, like, I don't, nothing's really changed.
0: <laughs> uh, kind of. Uh, we, we got a lot more of um, Weird Dinosaur in New York City... <laughs> Instead of a Mushroom Kingdom. But, I, you know.
1: <laughs> Nothing's perfect. That's,
2: that's kind of essential to the Mario movie. I don't know what you're talking about, Ian. Oh,
0: fair enough.
2: I, I have no clue what you're talking about. Nothing wrong with that movie at all.
0: <laughs> Nothing wrong with uh, John Liguizamo getting, like, piss drunk on set and constantly causing injuries and, like, visibly on camera wearing, like, casts because of, like half the stuff going on
2: <laughs> yes Very just also, imagine I'm just being saying, able to recreate saying. that with AI. oh absolutely
0: and i mean I'm, I'm, I'm just saying right now i'd rather take a mario movie with jim henson puppets over a cg animated illumination movie that has Fair. chris pratt um not really doing a good job
2: I mean, it has Jack Black, though, and I, he is doing it a does. fantastic job. It does, and if job. there
0: is one thing that would be cool, is that it's not only Jack Black as Bowser, but Jack Black possibly even manning the giant puppet of Bowser. Uh, it'd be,
1: a man maybe. could dream. A man could dream. Indeed.
0: I mean, the other ones that I've seen were pretty neat, but uh, uh, to you guys, what, what were some ones that you thought were pretty interesting?
1: Uh, I mean, obviously, Berserk it would fit as an eighties dark fantasy. saw so scene. that was pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think my favorite is probably the metal gear solid one. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I like that dark fantasy eighties, you know, vibe. So any of them is pretty cool. Just the idea of it being cool. I'm only excited to see what's going to happen in the future with it, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and I, mean, I guess the only other thing that, uh, concerns me is mainly just the fact of AI generation is able to go over, you know, images right now, but who's to say uh, what's stopping AI generation from going beyond just images but a series of images that makes like a whole sequence of moving pictures if you will. Basically, AI generated animation. Which, I don't doubt at this point would probably look um, janky. Considering the uh current limitations and also just the weird, uncanny, like you know, indicators that we were just talking about. Yeah. But I mean there are people whose jobs in the animation field is basically animation cleanup where they polish the like in between stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. No, that is true, that is
1: true. Do you think this is the end for artists? Do you think this is Gigi Nori? <sighs>
0: It really depends on on the programmers, because obviously it, it sounds like at least most of them are fully aware of uh, the ethical implications are with things being completely generated by AI, which is why they have those uh, intentional imperfections put into the software. It's just, at the same time, there's always going to be someone around the corner that goes well, how can we, like, make a bunch of money without actually having to pay people?
2: Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, that I kind of despise about AI generation, and it's... I'm trying to think of an easy way to word it, right? Is Mm -hmm. that you're using automation to automate a process that is a form of human expression and actual you know like expression of the self and automating this and removing this aspect of what it means to be a person so that way people have more time to work and it's just i hate it
0: i i, I don't like it either i mean i i i don't want to say that people can't be allowed to utilize it because i i mean I, I could see ai generation being great for say concept art but at the same time as a sort of you know double-edged sword sort of situation concept artists would then be losing out on on you know employment and plus that the other thing about concept art is that yes it's about just having like a rough idea and ai generation can certainly help with that especially if you're trying to reimagine something into say for shits and giggles a 1980s dark fantasy film Concept art, though, still has, like, these little intentional details put in that just make the art all the better, and, I mean, I, I, I don't think AI can really do that. Part of the thing of, of why, say, um, uh, Ralph McQuarrie's, like, concept art for Star Wars got the whole project off the ground was just because of, like, the the atmosphere and just personality within the art itself like in these drawings that he made and granted a lot of these drawings of course don't look like the finished film god know. but mm-hmm. they were still like the groundwork and sure ai could be used the same way but it will lack that extra flourish that is in those like keystrokes that goes into art like that
2: nonsense ian i'll just specify his name specifically
0: in my ai generation Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not wrong though <laughs> yep Shit. oh god I-, I i mean like if people can just make 80s anime looking star wars what's stopping them from just saying oh hey make it ralph MacQuarie themed
1: yeah, right? Yeah, no, because exactly. then
0: you could feed the AI a bunch of Ralph MacQuarie art. It'll analyze, like, all the details on it. And, ah, you have a point there. Yeah, See, now we're, we're getting even further into this, too. It's yeah, just, people, ah. uh,
2: people are using AI to basically, you know... You're, they're automating the wrong thing. And it. I hate that they are. Because you could automate, I don't know, other things to make it so people don't have to slave away forever on tedious tasks, but instead we're automating artistic expression.
0: Well, I don't know. I, I would be kind of interested to still uh, compare, say, Ralph McQuarrie AI-generated you know, images next to the actual artwork because chances are... The AI can analyze everything about Ralph McQuarrie's stuff, and I have no doubt that it'll get even better over more and more time of improvement, but I still believe that there will still be something about looking at that actual drawn art that will still very clearly hold a candle even today compared oh, to no, the with, AI stuff. With but certainty. the problem is that some people won't care.
1: Yeah, no, that's the problem. Hey, you're looking at him. <laughs> Okay, no, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. Let oh, me rephrase no. that. Sorry, that was the, my, that my inner contrarian. I guess I don't have any personal skin in the game because I can't draw up with shit. Unless they start taking over the stick figure game, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I already have. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, God. But my skin in the game is the equivalent to any human skin in the game in the idea of AI replacement. So don't get me wrong, I will always, 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 100% of the time. Think that a human-generated project is always going to be more enticing, blah blah blah. Well, more, yeah, I should use the word enticing. At least more, I'll appreciate it more because there's more work into it if it's not Uh AI-generated. When it gets to a certain point where I can't tell the difference between the two, and I'll have to ask which one is—I mean, that's going to be a huge fucking problem, obviously, because you know artists always put more stuff in than just typing a couple things in a text board. So if I know true. which one's which, I'll always appreciate the other one more. But it's going to become a problem when you when you just can't tell. You know, when you can't tell, I mean, fuck. You know, hashtag death of the human soul, deep shit. No matter what, always. It's, it's always more awesome when a human does it because it takes more effort for you.
2: That is true. But good news for you, Sam. Um, Currently, it is taking upwards of two minutes for Dali Mini to generate me a stick figure. So
1: you're ahead of that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Still the best around, baby. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm not sure how many people know about this, but I mean, there's also been plenty of ventures, primarily from like Disney projects, where they've also gone into AI-generated, I shit you not, audio. Uh, For example, Luke Skywalker appears in The Mandalorian uh, Season 2, as well as in The Book of Boba Fett. And obviously, it is an actor being deep-faked to look like a young Mark Hamill. Mm. Uh, Season 2's appearance of Luke didn't look so good. Book of Boba Fett Luke looks better, definitely. Um, but the one thing that people noticed was how he was talking. Uh, he was noticeably more robotic. And yes, he becomes more stoic and reserved when he is a full-fledged Jedi. But he still had like that spark to his voice and stuff like that. Especially mm-hmm. when he was concerned or happy or sad or you know worried and stuff like that. And what people notice is that, wow, he sounds kind of robotic... And that's because all of Luke's lines in both of those shows are completely AI-generated. Fucking wild. Yeah, yes. Uh, There is a company that has an audio generation program specific to their company in which if you feed them a bunch of audio clips of, say, Mark Hamill, and they had plenty of uh, archival audio of Mark Hamill like, uh, doing ADR reading some kind of narration script and they fed that into the program and yeah they generated their own lines of dialogue with the program making luke speak and while uh it's a little different it's more in enhancing the performance uh for obi-wan kenobi they used AI on James Earl Jones' voice to make him sound like he was straight out of uh, The Empire Strikes Back, back in, like, 1980. So he sounds, like, no older than he was when he was first playing the character, which... Impressive, don't get me wrong, but it, it just brings up more things, too, because... Now we also get into the whole idea of, like, what if different AI tools are combined and used in tandem and are used beyond just art, (laughs) you know? Like
2: nefarious purposes of
0: Yes, uh, such as um, perhaps having uh, a deep-faked person look like Keanu Reeves, taking a bunch of audio clips of Keanu doing interviews or something like that, feeding it into an AI program... And, uh, have this actor pretend to be him at a gas station and have him say, uh, racial slurs. I mean, it's at that point where it's just like, well, shit. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh no, Ian, I realize they're long con. What? Right, so you then need a way to determine if it's real or not, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. They really brought us AI generation deepfakes just to sell us NFTs.
0: Oh, no!
1: No! Maybe it truly is the end time. You oh, will buy God. an NFT. They're going to start
0: like deep faking actors into saying, Hi, I'm Denzel Washington and I want you to buy some NFTs.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> no, no, Basically, you don't understand, Ian. You require the NFT to tell it's not deepfaked. God!
1: Oh no! <laughs> Will they be AI oh. coins? I mean, goddamn. Oh,
0: I know. It, it's oh, it's 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 a little uh, concerning. Definitely, they're f-
2: they're funging our actors. <laughs> oh, they are <laughs>
0: brutal. I mean, we we've had deep faked actors literally playing people who are supposed to be dead like in Rogue One where they had Grand Moff Tarkin and granted it was the actor's voice over him but I mean it was still his face what's gonna stop people from making deals where they can just resurrect dead actors and use AI to have their performances put into movies I mean shit yeah
2: uh, no no Ian don't, don't tell me they're gonna resurrect Walt Disney in this
0: matter Oh, He's no. coming back. It's They're totally gonna make him out. CEO. They're gonna make him CEO and have an AI, like, dictate <laughs> what business decisions he makes. Uh, I Okay, to be fair, certain content nowadays feels like it was generated by an AI. That it feels is, so bland.
2: That is true. It's just, like, missing things to it. But, Ian, that brings up a question, though. Does it really matter? Does it need to have, like, you know, any sort of strong content to it, or
0: can it just be meaningless garbage to churn through? I mean, nothing's stopping it from being that. Definitely. But that does, of course, lead us into a uh, little discussion that Sammy Boy wanted us to uh, cover, because it's an interesting one. Sammy Boy, what, what, what was that that you felt like uh, asking us and now that having we're deep human
1: being things and soul shit. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, uh, there's more than just art that that can have soul put into it or, you know, put effort or deeper shit into it. And that is, of course, movies. So my question to you guys is, do you think a movie, for it to be good in any capacity, does it have to have deeper meanings with themes?
0: Well, I would certainly say that the simple answer is no, they don't because there's quite a few movies that i can think of hold its own just because it's
1: entertaining it is entertaining itself a human deep theme in a way well, it depends on how you how you
0: think on it. and i mean for reasons that i'll go into i'll of course explain where i come from with that but i mean harrison what 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 do you think with the question of do movies need those things to be considered good
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna take a weird stance on this does it need okay. to have a deep thought provoking message no some movies can just be really simple messages oh,
0: absolutely. but does it need
2: to have a cohesive theme yes because mm. every movie that like face plants has some sort of disconnect in its theme
1: yeah uh, maybe it's a, I think it might be a situation where um hmm not every, basically what Harrison said. Not not every movie has to have a deep theme, but every movie has to have a theme. You know, even if it's as yeah. simple as shit like don't do drugs. <laughs> you know, drugs bad. Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> uh, But I mean, yeah, you're right. Any movie who doesn't have a coherent and cohesive, at least idea or not necessarily a meaning, but a cohesive background.
2: Yeah, there's I, I say message. this worded this explicit way as I give a side eye to the uh, a lot of the comedy in quotations comedy movies
0: that have come out are spoof style movies. Yeah, I mean, half the comedies, no, they're not, they're really not. And when you think about it, there's very few comedies that have like a quote unquote reoccurring theme. But the big thing about it is that at least when it's good. A comedy is funny. And if I can kind of go back to the whole thing of just entertainment being entertainment, is there something to uh, people that entertainment in of itself can be meaningful? Yes, because I don't know about you guys, watching movies that take place on a different world or in a different universe, whether it be sci-fi, fantasy... Or even a superhero movie. God, it just does wonders to be able to escape from all the shit that you're having to deal with. Just going to a theater, or hell, just streaming something on your TV, that works just as fine. It just does wonders to help with not having to always have your mind on what's got you down. So, going out and watching something that's just... It's gripping, it's attention-grabbing, and it leaves you feeling satisfied... That has plenty of worth to people. Mm-hmm. I definitely think so. But if we get into what we were asking of, well, does it need like strong thematic elements or deep messages that keep popping up in just about every other scene that the movie has? Well, it doesn't have to be. But if I may, the movies that often stand to the test of time are the ones that do that and they do that very well and they're Mm. very clearly films that were crafted with all kinds of love all kinds of expertise and the fact that people still talk about it decades later says something about that and because it has some kind of message or theme that people can relate to and stuff like that and when you really think about it some of the better movies that are just you know, you could sort of put as general entertainment, they still have some semblance of themes, you know? I, I mean, yeah. The, the last recent film that I felt like, yes, I want to actually buy that on Blu-ray, because I'm going to be watching this so many times, and I have watched it many times, is Into the Spider-Verse. And one of the things about yeah. that is Miles is constantly asking, when do I know when I'm Spider-Man? And Peter says, you don't. It's just a leap of faith. And it kind of, you know, builds on that throughout the movie, and then you come to realize that it is a leap of faith, because if people are willing to take that leap of faith, basically anyone could have been Spider-Man. Peter took a leap of faith in trying to be something more than just a guy with superpowers. No, he's a hero that puts other people before himself. And I I think that's one of the things that kind of has me still thinking about Into the Spider-Verse and why I'm also excited and looking forward to Across the Spider-Verse, even though they are splitting it into two parts, which I don't know how to really... really... Yeah, yeah, they're they're making it two parts, and I don't think that that's a very good idea at all, because it just feels like padding, and like they just want to force it into a trilogy...
2: We'll see when it comes out. You can't speculate like that early yeah, on.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it could be like Infinity War where there's so much going on that you kind of have to have a end game after that. But we'll see because here's the other thing. Endgame I really only watched because it was the finale. It it's not a very good movie on its own right. You know, and most of the third parts aren't.
2: Yeah, I mean the problem is there's padding and it yeah. kind of falls into the exact thing we're debating about strong thematic elements because i can ask you pretty easily what is the sort of theme of infinity war and it's them going to all of these lengths to make sure that they win mm-hmm. and then i could ask you what's the theme of end game i'll just i'll just use Endgame as a good example here everyone's probably seen end game that listens to this i'm gonna be fully honest we discuss movies <laughs> Ooh. you know oh i'm I'm God just damn. gonna honestly say i assume almost anyone who listens to us has seen endgame or knows the plot of endgame
1: yeah uh-huh. please
2: correct me if i'm wrong there essentially spoilers for endgame if you're the, like the two people in the audience who haven't seen it right um oh. essentially After the loss in Infinity War, which the whole movie builds up for, and all these sacrifices and battles, and how Thanos is this unstoppable force, Thanos retires, they find him, Thor kills him, Thor retires, again, then Tony Stark builds a time machine to go back in time to steal the Infinity Stones from the past because Thanos destroyed them to undo the snap? but then he does this and then Thanos from the past time travels forwards into the future to steal them from Tony Stark stealing them from the past.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. And frankly, I I'm going to side with you here, Harrison. I mean, Endgame is essentially not even like a full complete movie. It's mainly just payoff. Because, I I mean, it is satisfying to watch, don't get me wrong, if you've been following the movies. It's just, you can't really watch Endgame on its own, kind of like you can with Infinity War. Granted, you miss quite a few things if you haven't been keeping up, but Infinity War was an interesting one because it felt like it was trying to be an actual movie and not trying to be like any other Marvel film where they try to be as tonally and artistically similar because they don't want to be different with each movie. Yeah. Infinity yeah. War wasn't just good for superhero movies, it was good for movies in general. Like it was like top notch.
2: Yeah. Like weird way for me to word it. You can watch Infinity War having only seen Avengers. And you can still get just as much enjoyment out of it, because mm-hmm. it follows so many little groups. Technically speaking, Infinity War is like, yeah, no, have you seen the other 20 movies before this? But not all of them
0: are relevant. Mm-hmm. Not entirely. And I mean, if you were to say Marathon, the Avengers films, and then also um, Civil War, I-, I think you would actually be able to just go right into Endgame, uh, not Endgame, sorry, Infinity, Infinity War, War, and pick up everything as you go. Going like, oh, that's Doctor Strange. Okay, got you. Oh, yeah. Spider Man. That's right. He was in the last like, movie.
2: Like, what do you? What do you actually need to watch? Two Avengers films, one Doctor Strange film, and you know, like maybe one extra Thor movie. Yeah, feels like feels
1: like homework. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it does but feel like End homework. Game.
2: Yes, End Game is just the endings of nine other avengers and other marvel movies crammed into one to tie up as many character storylines as possible
0: whereas i would like to point out i actually think return of the king is a satisfying movie on its own even though it is the final part like that's an example of a a final part of a trilogy that still feels like a satisfying movie in of itself And of course, we've talked quite a bit about Endgame, so if I can go back and and say one thing, like I was saying, not every film has to be thought-provoking and and super serious and and like, you know, having this this message that creeps up in just about every single scene of the movie. But when they're done right, and they're done with a, a combination of entertainment, but also expression, those are kind of the movies that tend to stand the test of time. I mean, there's a reason why people still talk about Citizen Kane even today. Even if by most standards people might not find it as interesting as when it came out, it still has Uh... merit to it. And it still has an excellent story to it. Um, Now, here's the thing, though. Very, very, very entertaining movies can also stand the test of time. At the very least as, like, guilty pleasures. You know? Because I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie, I watched the 2000s Charlie's Angels for the first time, uh, like two months ago, and since then I've watched it three times. I absolutely love that movie, because of just how just off the wall it is, and it just puts a smile on my face every time I put it on.
2: Ian, it just dawned on me what's the perfect example of what you're talking about. Shrek 2. Yes!
0: Yes! Shrek 2 is funny, Shrek 2 is entertaining, but it also has character to it. It has, like, this nice combination. Shrek 2 is awesome. It stands the test of time.
2: Yeah, and you don't pop on Shrek 2 because you're looking for a deep, thought-provoking film. You're like, alright, I'm off work, it's a Friday night, I'm watching Shrek.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's the same thing with how, say... Sam, you know, you and I have watched this quite a bit over the years. Uh, tricking Atlantis: The Lost Empire. I mean, we quote those lines from that movie so often because we love it. It's it's an amazing movie, and and we've like made it almost like a tradition to watch it every so often.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's okay, great. look, it, that's a very deep thematic movie. That it's, I, if I can't be the only, I can't be the only one who sees the cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> no, I'm not blind to Bye bye. Shut up. <laughs> now I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime, you say. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes the thing you get out of a movie is not the you think it's just the entertainment value. Yeah. You know, and that sometimes that's really all you need. Yeah, uh, and speaking yeah. of uh entertainment values, Sam Yes. Uh speaking of a movie with <laughs> very little themes. <laughs> Because it's too hopped up on cocaine and action to focus on any of them. <laughs> I'm talking about last year's. Had a cohesive theme. Yes, last year's Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt and some other famous actors I can't think of top of my head, but very cool. Um, yeah, no, I, I picked this movie because I, I watched it one night with some buds, and I'm like, holy shit, this movie rocks, and it was a lot of fun. And that's that's that was my only thought process is wow movie was cool and that movie was bullet train what are you guys' general thoughts uh
0: my general thought is uh I- i'm actually surprised that a um a movie from 2022 that's also a netflix original uh actually didn't suck and i was thoroughly entertained by it and thought wow there can still be effort nowadays.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because I'm
0: not gonna lie, that the whole setting on the bullet train and just like the style of it, the lighting, the um, the soundtrack, I mean, I I liked it. And then also the cast, too. That was one of my favorite parts. So yeah, I liked Bullet Train. It was fun.
2: Yeah. I I thoroughly enjoyed how... The entire, like, Thomas the Tank Engine cartoon was incredibly plot relevant, and it just (laughs) kept coming up. Mild spoilers for the people who haven't seen Bullet Train. Uh, One of the characters in it, which is aptly named Lemon, Mm -hmm. says that he is, like, the perfect breeder of people and understands them explicitly through the characters of Thomas the Tank Engine. Mm-hmm. and he keeps accusing the main character of being diesel who is the villain in thomas the tank engine until yeah. a later on scene when something clicks for him and he sticks a diesel sticker on someone else and then his brother spotting the diesel sticker draws his gun and almost immediately fires on the person
1: yeah no this uh this is basically the citizen king of uh bullet trains
2: yes
0: <laughs>
2: yes <laughs> Indeed, it is. It is an incredibly convoluted plot. And Sam, if, would you like to explain the plot?
1: So, without getting too much into spoils at begin the beginning, the essential of the plot is you have this almost like I don't want to say assassin, but this this is he's not you know? an assassin. Yeah, he does, operative uh, almost.
2: He only does pickup jobs. He's just yeah. covering for someone else.
1: Yeah. So you got this. This I don't know how you describe him. Like what, what would you describe his occupation as? Like not just a mercenary, uh, he's a, but
2: he's I'd say he's like a professional professional thief. killer. He's a no, he specifically is like a thief because he yeah. he goes out of his way to explain that he doesn't kill.
1: Yeah, it, it, it you know as you watch the movie, there's hints that he has a darker past and shit like that. He's done similar things to killing, but essentially he's the freelance worker. We'll call it like that. And so yeah. he gets a job to the easy job, you know, just snatch and grab this briefcase from this bullet train. And that's all he really gets. He's filling in for someone else who had a stomachache—a guy named Carter, which will become, and maybe, maybe or not, become important later. But <laughs> he—and that's that's it. That's a simple that That's his job. He gets on the train to find this briefcase. Doesn't know what's inside. Doesn't ask. But it turns out he's not the only one looking for it. And there's a whole bunch of other freelance mercenaries, assassins—you name it—on that train. And that's the that's the premise of the movie. And it just gets fucking ADHD. Adderall-pilled crazy shit as it goes on. Yes. And uh, I wouldn't say
0: this is like a a super strong thematic theme, kind of like calling back to what we were just talking about, but there is this theme that is brought up every so often of how all of the major players that are on this train came onto this train for a reason because, for one way or another... It's potentially fate that brought them yes. all together onto the train, and everything that's happening on the train and around them, and who dies, is meant to happen that way.
1: Yeah, it's kind of. Yes. It started with the idea of the main character's operative name for this mission is Ladybug, which in Japanese uh, culture, I guess you could say, mythology, it's it's a luck thing. You know, it means you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes.
2: My, my favorite thing, though, that they do in this movie a lot is if you've ever played the Borderlands games, whenever a character is introduced, there's like this little splash art that appears and their name and like a fancy font. They do this for every single character in neon lights with Japanese text as well, and then a flashback moment of their whole life leading up to this train, and it does it
1: for everyone. Including some minor characters, we'll say. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and it's interesting how in each of their flashbacks, there's at least one thing about these characters that involved another one of the characters in some fashion. And that's Uh. how they sort of have this like very loose connection to each other.
2: One of the flashbacks, though, is amazing. And if you watch the movie, you'll know exactly which one. Mm-hmm. Best character. Hands down. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Literally tour oh, de so. force. Puts Orson Welles mm-hmm. to shame.
0: <laughs> well, it's just interesting that with, with Brad Pitt having someone with a designation of Ladybug and the whole background of, you know, this idea of luck in Japanese, you know, culture and stuff like that. It's rather ironic, because he believes that he actually has terrible luck. He has bad luck constantly, because wherever he goes, people die. And what do you know? People are dying once again all around him on the bullet train, left Uh, and right.
2: Minor correction, though, Ian, about ladybugs specifically, because they kind of break this down later on in the film. Ladybugs themselves are not lucky. Ladybugs instead make other people lucky because they take in all of the bad luck.
0: Mm -hmm. Ah, yes, and that is actually something that is told to him, you know, that that leaves him a little kerfuffled because he's like, well, that doesn't sound fair.
1: Um, So, I mean, I'm just going to say now, the action was really, really cool. And yes, I think the strongest thing in this movie is probably how they use the bullet train itself and the setting to basically its fullest advantage. There's a lot of stuff here that you're only going to see on a bullet train, which is the name of the goddamn movie. So, step yeah, one, precisely. they succeeded. <laughs> they st- yeah, hey, this, yep.
0: this doesn't feel like something that only could have happened... Well, I mean, this doesn't feel like a, a scenario that could happen anywhere else. Because it's on a train, and more specifically, a bullet train, it feels very unique Because of that, it doesn't feel like anything else that you could have seen. Because on a plane, hell no, that couldn't have worked. On, like, a subway in Chicago, no, that couldn't have worked either.
2: Like, one of the the things that makes it all work really nice is that there's this weird level of, like, object permanence to it. Where, if a character puts down, I'll say, example, like, a water bottle or a drink in one scene in one of the cars that object is still there later on in the movie and they keep playing with this idea where like you know the actual like conductor and hostess are the same for the whole movie and he'll like go out of his way to avoid the conductor because the conductor doesn't like him for example
1: yeah, no, it, it, there's a really good strong connective tissue to the movie. But one of its what one of its kind of problems is how almost how quick the movie is. The pace is just yeah. nonstop. Which to some, hey, you know, keep, it keeps you entertained, to others you want some moments of like levity and slow down. It doesn't really offer a lot of those. So it it almost feels no. like it bounces around a lot. Like a lot a lot. It works out in the end in my opinion, but I could see why some people would, you know, think you know it's it's not cocaine (laughs) no I, i i can uh
0: i can agree and i thought where the pacing was a bit of a problem was with uh how there are two characters in this movie i am convinced were only really there just to throw another wrench in the whole situation and to also die Because they sort of came and went within, like, the same scene that they showed up. Like, of course, they have a little flashback showing their background, you know, how they are connected to the situation, stuff like that. But I sat there and I went, that's it? Like, you're not even gonna, like, have them be knocked out and somehow play into the finale? Like, no, they're they're just dead.
2: I know which characters you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but... I have a counter-argument, Ian, and that they were necessary for how the plot was written. Because those two characters were relevant to the main character putting together what was actually going on. Because if they weren't there, he would never put it together.
0: Oh, and see, here's the thing. I understand why they were there. Like, they still played a part in having things play out the way that they did. It's just... They showed up, had their flashbacks, uh, showed how they're connected to this, also showed how like important they are to the situation, but then promptly died. To me, and, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it had the vibes of a James Gunn movie where he'll have a character do a couple jokes, have a moment where they get the spotlight but then it's immediately undercut with them dying. Which, don't get me wrong, it can be funny depending on how you do that, but it can also feel cheap and sort of just... Not betraying, but like... I don't know. I I guess the only thing I can say is it, it, it just feels cheap and lazy.
2: Yeah. Wait, correction though, Ian. Correction. Uh-huh. A third character in the movie also immediately dies.
0: Oh no, you're right. You're right. There are three characters. There are three but characters that it, just immediately
2: die. But it rise. sells the risk because you're introducing all these like trained killers and assassins, and they kill each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that's
1: true. That's true. And you know, it it, it does add in the end, as Harrison was saying, because it, it, spoiler alert. I'm just I'm just let's just hit him with the spoilers now. Fuck it. Um, yeah. yeah. Watch the movie first. It's actually really good. I like the, I like kind of like the twist. It turns out all those assassins were hired technically by one guy, that being the main bad guy, Mr. White Death himself, who took on a nearby Yakuza clan, and is in some way connected to each of these assassins. In some way, they either hurt his operation or were directly involved in the assassination of his wife. So you find out that's why they all were hired for this bullet train and why a lot of the seemingly plot holes or like weird shit that happens on while the movie is going on makes sense. Like, why the cops never got involved, why the train never stopped, yep. blah, blah, blah. And it turns out, at the very, very end, that the main character, Ladybug himself, was never supposed to be there. It was Carter, obviously, because he took it in. Because Carter was the one that killed White Death's wife, which is a very comedic moment, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> when Ladybug's like, that's not me. I was just feeling that guy. I was just feeling that guy. So that was <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the film and uh, it it really does kind of I, I do like how they tied everything together um mm-hmm. yeah
2: I, I think I think that moment's even funnier too though because then he's still trying to explain to him and trying to talk him down from trying to kill him and he pulls the gun out a white death it's a revolver attempts to fire it like six times it doesn't work any of the times there's only one bullet in there you see it rotate around and then it misfires at the end so it doesn't even shoot him mm-hmm Gets frustrated, throws the gun, pulls out a second gun, and attempts guy- to shoot it, misfires. Mm hmm.
1: And it, it go, you know what? Surprisingly, you know, as much as one you could say this is just a dumb action, there's some themes in there. And that theme, of course, being fate, because that, that's the same gun that his daughter, the whiteest daughter, wanted him to use to kill himself with because it was meant to backfire. So, in a way, there's this major theme of fate. Going on in the background, it's only really mentioned a couple times. It's not. It's the movie's mostly focused on the action. It's not like pontificating or philosophizing about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What I find what I find interesting too with how it does fate is it's not like this divine sort of fate. It's clearly humans are doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like the very end part with the the tangerine truck where it seems to just come out of nowhere hit and kill a character. But then Mm -hmm. if you see the post-credit scene where one of the guys who fell off the train is essentially hitchhikes, steals the truck, and is driving it. Then when he spots the villain, just runs her over.
1: (laughs) Which is funny. His name was Tangerine. Driving a Tangerine truck. (laughs) Oh, no, his name was Lemon. Tangerine was his brother. You're right. Yep. Whom she killed. So you know, there's the weird divine justice slash fate, but it's all like Harrison said, it was all human enacted.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, this is an interesting situation where the theme of fate is used as a means of not only having a ironic sort of thing that brings all these different assassins together onto this train but it also just leads to some really entertaining uh scenarios that a lot of these characters have to get themselves out of and i think this is one of those situations where even something that's very clearly just meant to be a fun ride with some twists and turns can still have something that's like oh i see what they did there you know and 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 the thing is is that you can't always have a movie that is like, say, Synecdoche, New York, you you have to have also movies that are like this, that you sometimes enjoy. And granted, I, I'm i not saying that people have to change their viewing preferences for what they watch, but what I, for me, I can't always do one kind of movie. You I, I like to break things up. I like to watch, you know, sometimes some more artsy films but then I also like to watch just ones that are for dumb fun, you know? Like Charlie's Angels, and I guess this one is a interesting case where it's sort of in the middle, or, like, slightly closer to the middle, where it's got some, like, artistic little choices, but at the same time, it's also meant to be a fun ride. I would say something like um, a lot of the blockbusters from, like, say, uh, 80s. Kind of are, are more in the middle where like they, they got some interesting things I would say Matrix is more in the middle I would say Star Wars is in the middle I would say Lord of the Rings is in the middle because they got some interesting things going on and they stand a test of time but Bullet Train is just one of those movies that you need from time to time and I liked the ride that I was on don't know if it does anything for me wanting to go on an actual
1: bullet train but <laughs> uh, to each their own it would take it takes a exceptional movie to like balance it so you can, you know, really say like, Oh yeah, this movie's themes will stand the test of time. And it was really, you know, action packed and cool. This movie decides yeah. to ride the line a little bit, where it's got some themes, you know, at least to empower it a little bit, which really does elevate it a little bit. And just fantastic action. And popcorn entertainment. So I mean yeah I'd recommend it. For Shizzle my nizzle. Especially if you like Thomas the Tank Engine. I mean, this is basically the sequel you're never gonna find elsewhere. No, exactly. It it was one of
0: those movies that made me remember, oh, shoot, Thomas is still around. (laughs) I I, I didn't realize that he was still around because I just don't see a whole lot of Thomas anymore.
2: Yeah. I personally would recommend this movie if you were a huge fan of Kill Bill and went, what if this was a comedy?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Actually, that is a pretty good description of it. Mm -hmm. And and I got Kill Bill, you know, vibes from it. I, I would say... This is a movie I would put in the same camp as, say, um, Baby Driver. It's not purely dumb fun. It's still got some stuff to it, but it's still very approachable and something that you can throw on for, like, say, an evening where you just want to watch something to decompress and just enjoy yourself. It's funny, it's energetic, it's gripping, I would say. It has great visual gags, too, that keep coming up.
1: Mm-hmm. yes
0: and i I think this is definitely one of the more rewatchable uh Netflix movies because I think we've talked about before Netflix lately has been on a bit of a pattern of not really putting out a lot of stuff that people are gonna even remember like a week from after watching it um but this is a bit of a a, a change of pace. And I think this is rewatchable not just for a Netflix movie, but I think for a movie in general. People are going to be like, oh, it's that movie where they were on the bullet train and they were making all the Thomas references, and they kept on killing each other in funny ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, goddamn, dude. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I think you're all Percy's or whatever. <laughs> 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 Next time you see a, a diesel on a train, make sure you put them down before they put you down. That's been our inciting Moment of the d- of the day, right there. Yeah. The next time I
0: I, I come across a just generic asshole, I'm gonna say, mm, "You're talking a little bit like a diesel there."
1: <laughs> a little bit of a diesel, but I mean that was my recommendation. Who's next?
0: Ah, uh, well, that my friend, would be me. Ooh. So, I have been thinking about a wee little thing to uh, go on ahead and put on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And right. uh, it's it's an interesting one, because for a while I didn't quite understand what it was that drew me to it, because uh, I have watched it many times. Um, and then I realized it really was just the atmosphere of it all, and more specifically, the first time I was really, really invested in the cinematography and wanting to look into how it was shot and it happens to be the movie that actually finally got Leonardo DiCaprio the Oscar he was waiting for.
1: <laughs> oh, shit. It's bear time.
0: Oh, it's bear time. Bear with me, fellas, because we're going to be watching The Revenant on the next episode of the Inciting Moment podcast. Hell yeah. And I am excited because, oh, this will be an interesting one.
1: Wait. Leo got an Oscar. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? It's gone
2: like a full nice circle, Ian. I think like my fir- the first episode I remember was the Bear one. Uh, as far as when I when I joined.
1: Oh God, what movie was that
0: <laughs> That was the edge because I had Bart the yeah. Bear. Oh my
1: God, is this the sequel? Oh, it could be. I'll maybe, do some. Bear oh, maybe they AI
0: generated it. Bart the Bear into the movie and used that as a CGI bear. Okay,
1: this is getting too meta. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> before my robot. Before the robot overlords find out.
0: Alright. Well, until then everybody, tune in next time and take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Farewell.
1: Bye.